Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. Like that intro says, my name is Chase Krauss. And if you're watching this on YouTube and you didn't hear the intro, hey, guys. <laughs> and so today, well, first off, for those who might be joining for the first time, uh, just a little rundown of Catholics with Bibles, what we do, our general structure, what we're doing now. Um, so Catholics with Bibles, which is officially just over a year old. Heads up, y'all. We have like 50, 50, 52 episodes, I think. We've been just doing this just over a year, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, COVID didn't have just nothing but badness. Sometimes some good things came out of it. We started this podcast as a response to uh, COVID in a certain extent here at the St. Teresa Catholic Church in Austin. We wanted to make sure we were still producing quality content uh, for our parishioners and also for the whole world, because why not? Um, and uh, yeah, so we're just over a year old. So I'm excited. That's awesome. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so on Catholics with Bibles, our goal is to form Catholics and Christians, or I guess really anybody listening, um, form people, I guess you can say that, uh, with an authentically Catholic view of Scripture. You know, I think uh, it was a stereotype for such a long time that like Catholics didn't know the Bible, Catholics didn't know Scripture. You know, if you want to make a Catholic uncomfortable, ask them a question about Scripture, all these things. And that's awful. And we are trying to fight that because the Bible is literally our book. Like the Bible would not exist without the Catholic Church. Like, it would not. It was canonized by the Catholic Church, right? Um, so the, the Bible is like the book of the church. It's our book. We should know it better than anybody else. Um, and so generally on the show, what we do is we'll start with a Greek or Hebrew or Latin, maybe? I don't think we've ever done a Latin one. Maybe we will one day. Anyway, a Greek or Hebrew uh, word of the day. Um, just It's usually within the text that we're examining in some way. Um, in order to better understand the text, um, and also it's just kind of fun, and uh, and then we'll dive into whatever whatever topic that we're, we're diving into for the day. So we're currently still plugging away with our theology of the body mini series, um, and we are going to be wrapping it up relatively soon. Uh, I've spent a lot longer on this mini series than I originally anticipated. I don't even know if you can call it a mini series anymore. It's just like a season, this this season on Catholics with Bibles. Uh, we're doing theology of the body, um, but we we have we have a few few more sections to get through. Um, we'll start summarizing things a little bit more. Um, but it's it's been it's been fun. But it's also, as you guys who have listened to me know, it's also kind of like it's sad when I have to skip things. <laughs> it's hard. It's not it's not easy. So um, this week we're talking about Unix. Get excited. <laughs> and for those who are just like right now in this moment being like, what? Like, did he just, did you say what I, I think he just said? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about Unix because um, it's in the Bible. We should talk about it. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, equally importantly to this topic is that uh, Pope St. John Paul II and his man when he created them brings it up um, and he, he talks about it. So that's why we're going to talk about it. And so... He, this next section, he's pivoting here to talk about, to examine Matthew 19. Um, for those who are watching on, my, on YouTube, 
you just saw me check my watch. It's because Siri was thinking I was talking to her and was trying to bug me. Anyway, you guys ever do that where like you're in the middle of a conversation, all of a sudden your phone's like, your, your Siri's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I wasn't talking to you. Anyway, first world problems. We are diving into Matthew 19 and this section on uh, continence and uh, abstinence in the sake of, for the sake of the kingdom, um, which we're going to dive into once I read the passage here. So let's dive into Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12 in particular. So we read this. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been made, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So gonakos is uh, the word that a Greek word of the day just means a wife uh, or a woman. Um, and so uh, gonakos, look at that. You learned a new word today. Um, anyway, uh, and so it's within this text and kind of zooming out really quick. You know, what's the context of this text? Well, it's when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and ask him, hey, you know, Moses allowed us to divorce our wives, right? As long as you presented a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is saying like, nah, homie, can't do it. From the beginning, it was not so, which we talked about, you know, earlier in this Theology of the Body, mini, mini, mini series, mini season, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, you know, he's, Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, you know, Moses allowed this, um, but it was not willed by God. And so within this context, the disciples have the response of, if this is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry, right? So it's almost, JP2 points out, it's a very utilitarian view of marriage, right? Marriage is there, you know, so that a man can be with a woman, but like, you know, if he, because within some Jewish schools of thought, Basically, if he just didn't find her attractive anymore, he could divorce her, right? He could leave her. If, you know, she upset him in some way, he could divorce her. He could leave her. Um, and especially if, like, obviously, if she, was, if she was caught committing adultery, he would divorce her and leave her. And within most schools of thought within Judaism, the last one holds true, that if uh, the, the man caught the woman uh, in an act of adultery, it'd be cause for divorce and the divorce would happen. Um, you even see this kind of inclination, um, Actually, a lot of places of the Old and New Testament. But anyway, I can get into that. Um, and so this idea of this view of utilitarian sense of marriage, like where there's always kind of like an opt-out button, right, for the for even the disciples, right? And that the, this is their view of this. This is the view of the time. And so he's like, man, if this is the case, like we just like shouldn't. It's, it's like better not even to get married, bro. Um, and, and Jesus brings up this idea of eunuchs. Um, and eunuch is, it's, this is not like at all a normal word and or reality anymore in our day and age. Um, for those that don't know, because I don't know, maybe somebody doesn't know what a eunuch is. A eunuch is a man, a male, without any male parts. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so traditionally or historically, I should say, uh, court eunuchs were, were pretty common because these were the male servants or the male bodyguards of like the queen or the, the king's harem or the princesses, right? 
uh, why were these the case? Well, because the king didn't have to worry about the guards or servants doing anything they weren't supposed to be doing because they didn't have anything to do it with, right? Um, and so it's a very, I mean, within a lot of cultures we see this. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, that's what a eunuch is. A male, somebody born male, but without any male parts, right? Um, and so, you know, looking at this text, we find that there are really three categories of eunuchs, if you will, for, for Jesus says. We have, there are eunuchs who were born eunuchs. So namely, uh, men who were born with some kind of uh, defect, right? Some birth defect. We have eunuchs that were made eunuchs by other men, right? And that's the kind of like what we're talking about with uh, kingdoms historically would have servants or guards who, you know what I'm saying, chop, chop, um, for the sake of protection or for the harems or the queens or whatever. Um, and then we have those who have been, who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to get into this a little bit. I'm going to start with this quote from Pope John Paul II, because he's awesome. And this is kind of just kind of put this in kind of a good context for us. It's this idea of this the, being a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven, right? What does that mean? Do we take it literally, metaphorically, spiritually? Anyway, this is what he says. As one can see in his response to the problem raised by the disciples, Christ precisely and clearly states a rule for understanding his words. In his teaching, in her teaching, the church is convinced that these words do not express a commandment that is binding for all, but a counsel that regards only some persons. Namely, those who are able to understand it and able to understand it are those to whom it has been granted. A little bit further on, he says, one can say that the choice of consonants for the kingdom of heaven is a charismatic orientation, uh, charismatic in sense of like spirit, um, towards the eschatological state in which human beings take neither wife nor husband. This is right after our examination of last week, right, of the uh, last times. Nevertheless, between man's state in the resurrection of the body and the voluntary choice of continents for the kingdom of heaven and earthly life and in a historical state of fallen and redeemed man, there is an essential difference, right? What's the essential difference? The eschatological state of will not marry will be a state, that is, the proper and fundamental mode of the existence of human beings, men and women in their glorified bodies. Continents for the kingdom of heaven as the fruit of the charismatic choice is an exception with respect to the other state, that is, the state in which man came to share from the beginning and still does during the whole earthly existence. Okay, that was a mouthful. What does it mean? Well, JP2 is trying to do a few things in, the, in this section. You know, the first thing we have to say is that Jesus was not speaking literally, right? This is something that's actually really beautiful about being Catholic. Um, not always, not, not every verse of the Bible, but there are some verses where the church will definitively kind of give a view of. Uh, this is kind of one of them. Um, and so there's an early church father, and we still call him a church father. Um, his name is Origen. So you probably heard, you might have heard of Origen. Uh, Ur, Origen has tons of biblical commentaries. And honestly, most of them are pretty bomb, pretty good. Like if you really want like to study the scripture, Origen's like you're going to read him as somebody who studies scripture. We read him a ton um, in my master's work. Um, but we don't call him Saint Origen. And the reason is because, well, one of the reasons is because he took this verse literally and castrated himself. 
like as a, as an adult, like he, he chopped up his chopped off his manhood, and uh, the church basically knowing that's intrinsically wrong because mutilation is a, is an intrinsic evil. So an intrinsic evil is something that in and of itself is grave evil, right? Which should might not be done, cannot be done under any circumstances, right? You're in a state of mortal sin if you do. Um, and so Origen, while being like super in love with Jesus, he he misinterpreted this uh, this passage and uh, made himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven in in the most literal way possible. Um, does that mean Origen's like not in heaven? Like officially, like, oh, I have no idea. The church has no idea. The church just won't canonize him as saint because it's known that he did this, right? Um, and so this passage, being a eunuch in the kingdom of heaven, is continence for the kingdom, is, is choosing to be single for the sake of the kingdom, right? And this is something important. So one of the things that JP2 says, this is not a commandment, but it's, it's a counsel. So what's the difference? Well, we have certain commandments within the faith, right? Think of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not, you know, uh, covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. All these things. We also have other commandments. Like, it's a, it's a commandment that to go to Mass on Sunday, right? I know COVID's been, like, weird, and a lot of us have gotten received dispensations from our bishops. Those are starting to be rescinded. Praise God. Hallelujah. Get your butt to Mass. Um, but commandments are things that, like, not an option, like, to be a Catholic, you this is the bare minimum things to do. Go to Mass every Sunday. Go to confession at least once a week. Fast on Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and abstain from meat during Lent, uh, Fridays during Lent. These are all the base minimum. This isn't you being like an amazing Catholic. This is you just like literally doing the bare minimum. Okay, but then we have councils, right? So councils within uh, historical Christianity and within the uh, spiritual life of the church— uh, council of uh, uh, chastity, obedience, and poverty. Poverty, chastity, obedience, right? These are the three kind of uh, main councils of the church. So what are these? These are things that the church says will be extremely helpful in your spiritual journey, but they aren't things you necessarily have to do, okay? Um, they're, they're not things that are required of you. They're, they're councils. They're things that will help you along your spiritual journey, so, you know, a lot of religious orders, for example, they'll take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And so the vow of poverty saying, you know, they have very minimum to no possessions and other cells. Everything they own, own is owned by the community that they belong to. Uh, chastity, obviously, taking vows of chastity uh, means they are, their sexual orientation is ordered properly to their vocation, which for most consecrated men and women is abstinence, right? They don't have sex. Uh, the exception being uh, deacons who are who enter the diaconate married men, right? Permanent diaconate. Um, them for be, for them being chaste is would be still to have sexual relations with their with their spouse. But if their spouse passes away, they don't remarry, right? They don't remarry. And this is like even for me personally, just like on a personal note, this is like one of the hardest things. Like I would love to be a deacon. I think it'd be awesome. I'd love to serve the church in that way. I'd love. Um, to administer some sacraments in that way, um, like, you know, baptism and uh, marriage and funeral. Anyway, I, I would love that. But at the same time, there's a, there's, a, there's a degree of prudence there, right? Whereas for me, like I have a two-year-old daughter and a four-month-old son. If I became a deacon, even at 35, which I think is the minimum age, in, at least in my diocese, for, to be a deacon, you know, my kids really are only going to be, you know, 
they're going to be kids still, right? And so, God forbid something happens to my spouse. Well, then that puts me in a situation where I have to raise two children by themselves or by myself, um, and they need a mother, right? Like kids need mothers. And so that is like a, you know, something that you have to think about, you have to, that you have to discern, right? Um, which is why a lot of deacons don't become deacons until their kids are in high school or later on, because uh, they're in a place to do that. Anyway, so the last one's obedience, right? Which is saying, namely, you'll be obedient to your superiors, right? As long as they're not commanding you to sin, because the, the highest obedience is to God. And so going back to this, right? Being made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. So there's, JP2 points out there's two degrees of this, right? It's voluntary because they chose it themselves. And it's also for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And these councils are important because for the religious, they choose continence for the kingdom, right? They choose this as the more perfect state, if you will, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but Sorry, you can like hear my chair probably as like I'm moving back and forth. Uh, but anyway, um, they choose the consonants for the sake of the kingdom in order to live out these counsels to the best of their ability. JP2 points out though, and a lot of spiritual theologians point out though, that just because you're not a consecrated person, if you choose the married life, you can still live out these counsels and strive to the to the perfect state, right? Matthew 5, 46, uh, be perfect as heavenly father is perfect. You can live out the spirit of poverty, chastity, obedience as a lay person, as a married person, even if you don't take formal vows to a community or congregation, right? Um, so you can live out the spirit of these counsels to be obedient to your spouse, obedient to your vocation, men and women, right? You can... You take, I mean, to a certain degree, your, your wedding vows, you're, you're, you're taking a vow of chastity. You're, you're going to order your sexual life towards your vocation, right? I mean, if, you're, if you're married, towards the love of your spouse, not using contraceptions, you know, being open to life, even though you know that every time you come together doesn't mean you have to get pregnant, right? Um, and then poverty, not being too attached to things, right? Every single Catholic Christian is, a, is called to live the spirit of poverty. It doesn't mean you can't own things, right? Um, things aren't bad in and of themselves, but we, we're called to have an interior detachment to the things of this world in order, you know, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, right? So if somebody's in need, um, you're actually morally obligated to, if somebody asks you, if somebody literally comes up to you, looks you in the eye and says, hey, can you help me out? Um, and if you have the means to do so, there's a certain moral obligation there. It doesn't mean you have to give them money necessarily, but you can say, hey, yeah, I'd love to help you out. There's a McDonald's right there. Can I buy you a burger? If the person says no, well, you move on with your life and you say, I'll pray for you. Um, but if they say yes, cool, go buy them a burger, right? Uh, there's a moral obligation that we have uh, if you have means to help. And so uh, one of the things that JP2 gets into, which we'll kind of spend the last little bit of time talking about, is this continence for the kingdom. It's almost weird to think about Jesus talking about this though, because especially JP2, the reason he puts it here is because before this, Jesus refers to the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. And we, we studied this earlier, right? In, in, our, in our series where it, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he, he created Eve for Adam. 
but can these two truths be the same or do they contradict each other? Fun fact, they don't. But, um, but it raises the question, right? Like why bring that up? Why have that commandment? Why, why Jesus refer to the beginning, but at the same time say, which it says, you know, it's not good for me to be, me to be alone, but at the same time say that it's a higher degree of perfection for continence for the sake of the kingdom. And just to like say like, well, Chase, he didn't really say that, you know, is that really what he meant? Well, you can look at 1 Corinthians 7, right? In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So St. Paul is saying I'm single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Okay, kind of goes on from there. Um, Basically, St. Paul, being single, says... If you're not married, you should remain single because it's the more perfect way. But at the same time, if you're married, like, that's cool. Um, Basically, you know, pointing to Christ. You know, Christ was a single man. He was never in a relationship. You know, for whatever the Da Vinci Code wants you to believe, uh, Christ was never in a relationship. Um, And we also know from our last week that at the end times, they're they're neither married nor given in marriage total union with God. So what truth is here, right? From the beginning where, you know, it's not good for man to be alone to this reality that ultimately the final state of mankind is union with God. We're not going to live in the married state forever because the the sacrament of marriage isn't necessary in heaven. And so JP2 says this. He says, the superiority of continence to marriage never means, in the authentic tradition of the church, a disparagement of marriage or belittling of its essential value. It does not even imply sliding, even nearly merely implicitly, towards Manichaean positions or a support for ways of evaluating or acting based on a Manichaean understanding of the body and of sex, of marriage and procreation. The evangelical and genuinely Christian superiority of virginity of continence is thus dictated by the motive of the kingdom of heaven. In the words of Christ reported in Matthew 19, we find a solid basis for admitting only such superiority, while we do not find any basis whatsoever for the disparagement of marriage that could be present in the recognition of that superiority. Okay, so what is he saying? Saying that marriage is good. I think we've established that, right, in this, in this mini-series. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Literally, our bodies are telling us that man is made for women, women made for man. We have that reciprocal nature, that nature of self-gift within our bodies, right? And so married life is good. But saying that being consonant for the kingdom of heaven is better isn't saying that marriage is bad. It's just superior. That's, that's the word I should be using, not better. It's superior. It's the higher way. It's a, it's a way of sacrifice. It's a way of living the kingdom of God here on earth, right? So 
the beautiful thing about the cross and the resurrection, more importantly, is that we have an inbreaking of the eschatological times here and now. So Mary, the the not the Mary, the consecrated singles, the priests, religious, they are living the end times now, right? They are saying, I recognize that marriage is so, so very, very good and it's so needed, yet I choose to live the end times now. And I choose to accept these counsels of poverty and chastity obedience now. Not to the degradation of marriage, not to the belittling of marriage, as JP2 says, but rather to live as Christ lived, to live as I am called to be for all time, to be one with Christ. And so uh, a lot more can be said. And as I say every week, read, read, read Man and When We Created Them if you want like a full, <laughs> full course on, on everything uh, I'm talking about here. Uh, but and we're gonna have one more week on eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven next week. So hopefully if I didn't answer one of your questions, we can talk about it next week. Um, but ultimately, marriage is so good. But Christ is telling us that for those who, who it's been revealed, for those who have been called, that there's a, there's a state in life where you can live a heavenly life now. You can live these counsels now. But at the same time, remember that if you're a lay person or if you're a married person listening to this, you're called to live the spirit of these counsels now, to be detached from things, to be... Uh, fully chased in whatever relationship, whatever state of life you're in, and to be obedient to your superiors, to be obedient to your spouse. As long as they don't cause you to sin, you should be obedient to your boss and not bicker or complain about how you would do it differently, right? Uh, and so with all that being said, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. We will see you next time, y'all. God bless. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles, where we talked about eunuchs, because we just, we'll talk about everything on this podcast. If you have any questions or want clarification on anything, never hesitate to reach out. Go to sctaustin.org to find my contact information or to put in any requests for things you want to talk about on the show. All right, y'all. Thank you again for listening. God bless. <laughs>